Hi, I'm Ellen Newhouse, and welcome to Heart and Soul. Are you ready to live a soulfully inspired life? If you are ready to dive deep, get seriously honest with yourself, and learn to trust your deep wisdom, then this is the place for you. I'll be sharing unfiltered stories from my own life and those of many other courageous, creative entrepreneurs and transformational leaders who have dug deep inside themselves to heal, honor their amazing wisdom, and dare to take inspired action. No more sitting by the sidelines wishing for a more satisfying life. It's time for you to become the person you have always dreamed of being. Have a career and a life you love. Join us each week to be spiritually uplifted and inspired into action. And oh yes, I'll be giving you homework to get you moving closer to your dreams. Welcome back to Heart and Soul. I'm your host, Ellen Newhouse, and today I have someone I am so pleased to introduce you to. Her name is Erin Begwell. She is a documentary filmmaker, blogger, and new mom. And she, I have to say, has been such an inspiration to me. She, in the summer of 2014, launched a successful Kickstarter campaign, raising over $100,000 in funding to produce her first feature-length film, Dream Girl. In May 2016, Dream Girl premiered at the White House under the Obama administration. In 2018, Erin became a mother and started filming her new documentary, Year One. The film is an intimate look at the first year of motherhood through Erin's eyes. It addresses the identity shifts, the challenges of experiencing postpartum depression, and the everyday extraordinary moments of being a new mom. Oh, my dear, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for being here today. Absolutely. Thank you for making space for me. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Well, you posed a question in your newsletter that I want to jump off of because it was such a great question. And the heading to your newsletter was, I'm owning all of it and here is why. And then at the end, you said, have you ever felt like that? Have you ever owned all of you? Mm. And it really gave me pause because I'm in a, a shift, a moment, and then I was so inspired. I went and I watched the documentary, and as tears just like fell down my face, I thought, wow, whether you're a mom or you're trying to mother yourself, this documentary really hits home on so many levels. So I wanted to talk to you about the journey you've been on. And I'm so curious if you have always been somebody who just allowed their creative dreams. Hmm. I will say I grew up in a very creative household. 
My mother was a woman who drove a red convertible and wore tie-dye, you know, every day. I grew up actually on army bases, and she did not fit the mold of what an army mom should look like. And I think I've always had permission to express myself however that comes to me. And my mother isn't a traditional artist, but my grandmother was her mother. And so I think my brother's a musician. I I think the arts were really something we valued. You know, it, it felt like home when, you know, you'd come home from volleyball practice and my brother would be playing the piano. It just, there was a warmth to my parents' house and and to the way we expressed ourselves creatively. And I will also say, I think being a woman, you know, I think to a certain extent, my mom and both of my parents, I think assumed I'd get married, assumed I'd be maybe taken care of, like in quotation marks. And so I think they really allowed me to pursue the arts, maybe even more than my brother, because they thought, you know, she'll have security in some extent, in some capacity. Wow. Isn't that amazing that even in your generation, because you're (laughs) significantly younger than I am, even in your generation, there is still this mythology that women will be taken care of, that it fascinates me. And to be honest, you know, we've, my parents and I have, we've never had a formal conversation about it, but I, it's something I kind of have always felt and maybe I'm, I intuit it or, or maybe even culturally I assumed. Yeah. So who knows how that kind of manifests, but yeah, it is interesting. Our, the gender roles that we still continue to carry with us, you know, my husband and I are constantly <laughs> having those conversations, you know, now with having a daughter of figuring out, yeah, like, you know, is this, you know, normal and who should do what? And it can get very traditional, very fast. Isn't that amazing? And you have been on quite a journey through motherhood. So you just said, you know, you came home. So has now being a mom yourself brought you deeper to home inside yourself? Well, you know, I think life is always giving you challenges to explore your identity and to go deeper within. And I will say for me, motherhood gave me permission to kind of burn everything down and start over because caring for a newborn and a new baby specifically didn't give me a lot of time to focus on my external life. And so when the time came when I could start adding things back into my life, I got to choose you know, who are the people, you know, who am I going to spend time with, with my daughter? Who do I need just to myself? How am I going to work? How am I going to integrate my creative life? So I think it becomes a conversation that you get to have of figuring out kind of what that next chapter looks like. Which is so exciting to have choices, you know, it's such a privilege to be at a place to be able to choose. So during the first year of motherhood, you experienced postpartum depression. Before experiencing postpartum depression, had you ever had any mental health issues or any depression or anything that could have prepared you for dealing with postpartum depression? Yeah, yeah. I've had um, depression on and off since I was in high school. And it's interesting because I remember having a conversation with my partner, Sal, and when my daughter was born and being like, I don't have postpartum depression. 
I remember saying, you know, I'm, I'm waking up every night. I'm sobbing, you know, before five in the morning. I'm showing all the symptoms. And I really felt like it didn't feel like normal depression to me because your hormones are so crazy. And also because depression for me manifested as like rest. You know, it's sleeping, it's being in bed. It's like, you know, before I had the baby, it was, you know, kind of a lethargic, quiet nesting, which I couldn't do. You know, I had to be a fully functioning parent. So, you know, I was kind of really blindsided, I think, with the diagnosis and with understanding that that was my what I was experiencing because I felt really in denial about it. Mm. And do you think the denial was a sense of shame that as a mother, you should not be depressed? Or do you think it was just you didn't recognize the symptoms? I think because the symptoms were different, it was harder for me to kind of, because I was kind of looking out for it, you know, and was open to it. But I had also had such a beautiful pregnancy that I felt very blindsided by the depression too. And I definitely think shame always plays a heavy hand in depression. So I think you're right on. I think, you know, wanting to have the baby, being so excited, feeling so in my body. I feel like my first pregnancy like healed me in a lot of ways I wasn't expecting physically and gave me like an appreciation and a gratitude for my body. And then when my daughter was born, I felt like, where is that goddess energy again? You know, where, how come I'm not stepping into this extraordinary new space? And I loved my daughter and, you know, she's still like the most wonderful and beautiful thing that's ever happened to me. But there was such a disconnect with my emotions, with, you know, my feeling, my sense of self. And I felt an extraordinary amount of shame because I felt like I'm supposed to be a great mom. And this does not feel great at all. And all the things that we put on the word mother. Oh my goodness. There's such like a sense of pressure. I mean, it's like women should be goddesses that are perfect. They never feel anything other than grace and unconditional love. I mean, how can anybody live up to that? Yeah, I mean, especially in American culture, I think the idea of like the martyred mother is is so prevalent and we're always supposed to be self-sacrificing. And, you know, I do think that narrative is changing, but I think also you hear these like very tropey sayings of like, enjoy every moment. And it's supposed <laughs> to kind of be this wonderful blanket, you know, which it definitely can be. But then when it's not, it makes you feel horrible. Right. So What allowed you to finally go and get therapy? Well, I unfortunately had a rock bottom moment. My depression, my postpartum depression, you know, I was like sobbing. I felt very disconnected to my baby. I was feeling a lot of shame. I was feeling like I felt like I was like spiraling out of control. And, you know, I started having suicidal thoughts. And I think the big one was I felt like, Maybe I wasn't the best person to take care of my daughter. Like maybe I truly wasn't capable, you know, emotionally, physically, you know, to do this job. And so I think it went from having kind of those negative thoughts and feeling like, oh, God, I can't do this another day to really considering um, and having that rock bottom moment where I I thought about killing myself. And it was in that moment that you know, I sobbed on the bathroom floor as, you know, so many of us have experienced. And, 
I got the courage to ask my partner for help. And I said, listen, it was the middle of the day. I said, listen, I'm feeling suicidal. This isn't normal. I'm, and I, I might not have even like named it in that specific terms. You know, I said, I'm losing it. Like, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I need help. Basically, I raised my hand. I said, I need help. And he came home and he held me and more tears. And, and basically him and I worked together to figure out, okay, what are we going to do now? And I think that was a really extraordinary moment for me because I think when we're, or at least for me in my experience with depression, you know, there comes a moment when you say, I'm, I'm sick of feeling like this. I'm sick of these voices. I'm sick of this lethargic energy. I'm sick of not feeling myself. And I really, I really raised my hands. And, you know, not only did I ask for help, but I said, I'm going to choose life. I'm going to choose to stay here. I'm going to choose to be here. And if this is what we're going to do, then things need to change. And getting help, getting therapy, going to group therapy, all of the things really helped me kind of figure out how we were going to heal this. Yeah. So for women who are listening, who may be wondering if they're, what they're feeling right, you know, after having a baby is normal or not, other than watching year one, which I hope everybody listening will watch, whether you're a new mom or not, because it's so powerful. What would you say, like, if they were your friend, what would you say? Well, I would say, you know, having a new baby is, you know, a topsy-turvy experience full of highs and lows. And I think as a culture, we need to give more space for, you know, the lows as well as the highs. And that, you know, it's baby steps to figure out who you're going to be in this new chapter of your life. You know, I will say clinically, the first three weeks are, you know, known as having a period of baby blues, which everyone feels topsy-turvy because of your hormones. But if you continue to feel discomfort after that, you know, whether it's an increased amount of anxiety, you know, whether you're having OCD, psychosis, there's so many different ways that postpartum maternal health can manifest. And so just being aware of it. But I will say, you know, there's when I talk to other friends who have experienced PPD, this this feeling of sinking, the feeling of drowning, the feeling of being overwhelmed, of treading water, a lot of water metaphors. If that's something you're feeling connected to in some capacity, or that's ringing a bell of truth for you, you know, definitely seek help with someone who's specialized in postpartum therapy, because a lot of therapists aren't, and they're not qualified to diagnose it, to heal it, to speak to it. So it's entirely treatable. And if you've had a baby in, you know, during the pandemic, you know, you're 70%, the new stats are that you're, you know, going to experience some level of anxiety or depression. Wow. That's really high, really high and really understandable because we all have been through so much trauma in this last year and a half and then put on a new baby on top of that. Woof, it's a recipe for a lot of anxiety. And I should say also that like, it doesn't have to feel this way. You know, it's, you can feel better. You're, it'll be night and day. And I think the hard thing about having a mental health experience with a new baby is like, you don't really know what's what anyway. And then when you can come out of it and look back, you're, it'll be a totally different experience. So it does get better. It will get better. 
definitely get help. Yes. And the other thing that I loved that you said in the movie was that you said feelings seen by a community was a powerful part of your healing. And it really hit me because I think so much about being a new mom is about isolation. You know, new moms are so typically isolated. And so if you are feeling this way, at the very least, pick up the phone and call a friend and talk about what you're feeling or gather a few women that you may know. Because I think being seen by community is so vital to not only healing postpartum depression, but just healing in general. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I and I think for me to be in a space of and a community and a collective of women, you know, I, I went to a mother's circle for about 12 weeks of women who had PMADS to a certain extent. And, you know, there were things I was afraid to share in the room that other women would share and talk about. And I think getting permission to share your true feelings and to be seen and supportive was so, so incredible. And also the woman who ran the group, the therapist, really fostered a community of support. And so she, before she would jump in, we would jump in and say, like, I think you were doing your best, or I think that was an amazing thing that you did. Or there was such a a community of just support and love and just, I don't know, it's hard when you know, we're on Instagram and everything looks so beautiful. It's hard to share the ugliness. And so to be in a safe space where you can do that without judgment is was incredible. Yeah. And what I loved in the movie is as you were progressing through the year, I felt as you began to learn more about being compassionate to yourself, I felt more compassionate to me. It was this like beautiful synergy. And it was very similar to how I felt when I first encountered you with Dream Girl. And there you were, just this ballsy young woman, just like putting her creativity out there no matter what. And I was standing there with my new book that really wasn't doing very well. And I was very depressed at the time. And you inspired me to keep going. And it was interesting because today I was curious about the timing about when Dream Girl came out. And Dream Girl came out, it looks like June of 2016. Yes? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, I had been really depressed and I was getting your newsletters probably a year before then is when you started sending them out. And I'm watching you going... Ellen, you can do this. Ellen, you can do this. It was like, you know, and I'm like, if she can do it, I can do it. And it it was just like such an inspiring. And and I didn't know how to make my book get any, do any better than it was doing on Amazon. And just as your film came out, my book became an Amazon bestseller. And I was like, what? How did this happen? I just sat down one day and sobbed and I kept thinking about this Aaron who was Aaron helped me. And I'm I, glad I'm getting credit for your hard work. Yes. And, but I have to tell you, I was so inspired by your truly your creative ballsiness is the only way I can describe it because 
it didn't even seem like it was hard. Now, I know you did a lot of hard work because mm-hmm. I saw the, the outtake. Well, Dream Girl was an extraordinary journey and we got a lot of luck along the way, I think, from being able to go to the White House to being recognized by Oprah and on her Super Soul 100 list. I mean, sure, we worked hard and I, you know, I like to say I'm with the best of them in that capacity, but I look back on Dream and I go, wow, what happened there? Because it really was almost like a tidal wave that just took us along with that. We, we were very lucky with the success that came from that film. Yeah, but I also think, I also think it has something to do with your permission that you give yourself for your creativity and your creative voice. And again, you're inspiring me because what you said somewhere, whether it's in the film or in the newsletter, was that the patriarchy often has overlooked the value of women's work and that you are owning being a stay-at-home mother as part of your protest and your (laughs) revolution. And I thought, dang it, she's done it again. (laughs) I mean, you have this interesting way of being at the forefront of, at least for me, at least for me, of something that I want to give voice to. And there you are saying it out loud. And I'm like, oh, there she is. She's doing it (laughs) again. Because I think for women, we have marched, we have raised our voices, but it's not enough. We have to really own our full power so that we stand up and we say, you know, forget asking for permission. We're just going to now be, you know, we are going to be the force, whether it's by being a stay-at-home mom and having no shame about it and saying, this is who I am. This is how I am showing up in the world in all of my isness, right? And because for so long, I think women have asked for permission to be. Is it okay that I am who I am? You know, and, and we're asking people who really don't have any interest in wanting us to be our most powerful self. Well, I think something you said before about kind of connecting to year one and something that I learned very early in my creative journey, which I'm very thankful, is that I feel like when you share your story, you give permission for others to do the same. And I feel like there is such a synergy in being in a place where you say, I'm okay with this. This is who I am. I'm going to own all of it. And this is, as you said, showing up in the world And I think that does resonate. And I think we're, you know, at a beautiful time where, you know, we get to have these spaces and these outlets and these podcasts and these, I'm so in love with, I'm really obsessed with podcasts and just being able to listen to so many different voices is so incredible. I mean, I feel like women's representation in the podcast space is like outrageous compared to what we're seeing in film and TV. Like it has not caught up, right? Because we're able to be totally our our authentic selves here. And so it is a really interesting place to be in. And I hope we can all continue to kind of be comfortable in our own skin and just be able to accept and, and kind of also see it as an act of, you know, resilience and resistance and yeah, part of our, you know, feminist duty. Absolutely. I love it. I mean, I just, when you said that, I was like, yes, I am on board for this. I may not want to march on the streets, but 
using my voice, absolutely. So for women who are listening, who are struggling to use their voice, since you have such a beautiful way of doing it in your life, what would you say would be the first three things they could do to start to own their voice? Mm. You know, I think journaling is such a powerful tool. You know, I'm an artist I, and I feel like in a way, like if it doesn't come out of me in some capacity, it's not real. And so I feel like I have a really healthy relationship with kind of releasing work, with putting out, you know, blog posts of, of sharing things, of creating films. And I know that's not for everybody, but I think, I think really knowing your voice, knowing what you want, I think that can happen with a journal that can happen with like, you know, something I'm trying to do and cultivate in my life is like more goddess energy, more high energy. You know, we're, we're so used to kind of just surviving this year. I'm like, what lights me up? What, what makes me feel luxurious? And so every day I'm trying to find like, can I light a candle here and just sit for five minutes? Or how can we like nourish, you know, our inner selves? And so that is something that people can do. And I don't know, it's interesting. I think there has to be a healthy dose of fear and kind of sharing your truth and just kind of getting comfortable with you not being for everybody. Oh, yeah. You know, I feel like that's something that I am, you know, continuing to kind of figure out and struggle with. But, you know, your your story and your truth does not have to be for everybody. And I think as women, we're, you know, one of the narratives, of course, is we want to be likable. We want to be palatable. We want to be universal and we don't have to be. And that's okay. No. And I think the more we focus on what our personal gifts are to bring and we realize that you know, by being a stay-at-home mom and owning it loudly and proudly gives other women permission to say, I'm a stay-at-home mom too. And isn't it an amazing experience? And isn't it hard? And isn't it great that we have that choice? You know, but I think when we try to make ourselves likable by everybody, we water down who we are. Well, I think women are not are pretty accustomed and women of color especially are used to making themselves feel smaller, be smaller, you know, not take up as much space. So, you know, it is a challenge and it is a daily practice. Absolutely. And I loved what you said, those questions, you know, what lights me up today? What can I do that would feel luxurious and nourishing to me? I love that because I think those are questions that we can all ask ourselves every single day that will bring us to the next step. Oh, I'm going <laughs> to sit with that for a moment because, you know, we're also moving so fast. I don't think we take the time often to come inside. Yeah. And I, I would say too, for me being, you know, a full-time parent, it's it's really hard in the day to find breaks, to find moments of space or peace. And so I really have to like snip it in, you know, like I have to really be creative with figuring out, okay, I'm feeling kind of drained, but you know, I still have Ginny for the next 10 hours. Like, what am I going to do? Like, you know, trying to find those micro moments where you can kind of give yourself a break or, you know, go for a walk or this is what I need right now, I think is, is really important. Yeah. So where are you now? What's your biggest challenge right now for yourself and for you as a stay-at-home mom and for you as a very creative woman? 
My biggest challenge. Let me see. I mean, there's so many. (laughs) (laughs) I think finding something I struggle with as an artist is, and I'm sure you can relate to this too, is like once you've produced a a big and beautiful piece of work, um, I just finished my documentary year one that came out earlier this spring, finding the momentum to promote you know, to share your work, to talk about it, to do so in a in a way that doesn't feel sleazy, that's authentic. I know. <laughs> Trying to find a wave of that, I think. Yeah. And I I feel like in comparison to Dream Girl and, you know, other things I've promoted, I've been a little bit lazier with it. And so I'm really trying to kind of figure out, okay, how can I inspire myself to, you know, stay on the path, serve the work. So I think that's um, definitely one of my challenges at the moment. Mm, well, let me tell you, as somebody who sat and watched the documentary and was so touched by it, if you could imagine women all over the world who are new moms or who are really trying to mother themselves, watching the film, I should have taken a picture of it as I'm sobbing. I was just like... In fact, I wrote you an email right after I watched it. I was like, I'm so touched. And I was, I mean, just really so touched by your willingness to share your truth, share the really hard stuff. You know, most people look at Instagram. It's all curated to look very good. And that is actually not very helpful for most of us because, we, <laughs> you know, we need to see that everybody is going through their stuff. You know, if you are on the planet breathing and a little bit conscious and awake, you're going through it on some level. And that is one of the biggest gifts of that documentary is that you really allowed me to feel into that part of me that needed more compassion. Mm. I love that. Yeah, I will say the film was written by myself and my best friend, Diana Matthews, and we we rewrote it and wrote it. I mean, the beginning took us like five months to write like the first three minutes. So there's no word that's wasted. And we really tried to drill down emotionally on the truth of, of really every sentence, truly. And so it means a lot when it resonates and when it feels like it's ringing, ringing a lot of bells. Really did. I mean, it really just really hit my heart, opened it up and got me thinking about, you know, where do I need to mother myself more? You know, where can I bring more love, more compassion? So I didn't ask you about this, but I am feeling so drawn to give you a little bit of sound healing as a thank you. And you get to say yes or no. That's totally up I to love you. it. Let's do it. Okay. Let me go grab my bowl. You are such a gift to me. That I mean, this is just the smallest way I can say thank you. So, and since I want you to then just go and be with it and not have to give any more, if people want to find year one, how can they find it? They can go to watchyearone.com and um, they can watch it right on there. Awesome. And if people want to watch Dream Girl, how can they find that? Dream Girl is on YouTube. If people go to dreamgirlfilm.com, it should be right on our homepage. Awesome. All right. So I'm going to say thank you now because when we finish, I want you to be able to just be with us. Okay. 
I love it. All right. So um, I will just take a moment. I'll say a little prayer and then I will do the sound healing. Okay. And all you need to do is just breathe. You can close your eyes if you want to or not and just receive. you who are listening I will see you next week thanks so much for joining me on the heart and soul podcast it's such a joy for me to be with you I know firsthand how much easier it is to rise when you have community to laugh with shed a few tears with and be inspired by if you've enjoyed what you've heard please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, go subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite podcast platform. If you have any questions or comments, any topic ideas, or you might want to be a guest on my show, please contact me directly at ellennewhouse.com. And while you're there, grab the special resources I have created for you to begin to take inspired action in your own life. Thanks so much for listening and I'll see you next week.